you criticize China, you criticize Nike, you're not going to play basketball every game. You yes. pissed off the Turkish president, this but this wasn't enough, right? Because no, 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 you then had to piss off the Chinese Communist <laughs> yeah. Party as well. Tell us about that. And the more I studied, the more I realized, wow, this is just crazy and no one had the courage to talk about this issue. So I was like, from now on, I'm going to talk about every dictatorship. Because I was seeing the hypocrisy, you know? So BLM and everything was, for them, it was just PR. I asked them one simple question. I was like, put yourself in their shoes. If your mother, if your sister, if your daughter was in those concentration camps getting tortured and raped every day, would you still pick money and business over your morals, values, and principles? They usually turn around and leave them. Every organization, CEO, or company has been bought by someone bad out there. Hello and welcome to Trigonometry on the Road from the USA. I'm Francis Foster. I'm Constantine Kisson. And this is a show for you if you want honest conversations with fascinating people. Our brilliant guest today is a former NBA star and now activist, Ennis, formerly Cantor, now Freedom. Welcome yep. to Trigonometry. Thank you for having me. Um, listen, man, thank you so much for coming. You're fasting. You just got off a plane. So we, 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 we're grateful for your time. I appreciate that. Um, you. I was actually a big fan of yours when you were playing in the NBA, okay. but a lot of our audience who are not that into sport may not know who you are. Mm -hmm. So tell us your story. How, 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 what's your journey through life? Are you you're, you're born in Turkey? I was actually born in Switzerland. You are born in Switzerland? Yeah, right. born well, in Switzerland. I won't say anything else. You tell you know, us the story. My, uh, so my father was a scientist and he was doing his master in Switzerland and that's where I was born. And uh, you know, I, I literally stayed there for maybe nine months. I wanted to, I wish I stayed there longer so I could just speak another language, but came to Turkey. I grew up in east side of a uh, city called Van. I don't know if you guys uh -huh. ever heard that before or not. It's a beautiful, uh, beautiful town, beautiful city. Um, you know, my whole life, actually, when I was growing up, I wanted to be a soccer player because, I mean, it's, it's Europe. It's the number one sport in my country. So I was like, you know what? Let me just be a soccer player. But I was too tall, too slow for it, you know? So they would just keep making me a goalie. So I was like, you know what? I'm just going to, I'm done. I'm done with this sport. And a lot of my friends were like, you know, you're like the tallest one in a, in a school. Why don't you just start playing basketball? And actually, my family did not want me to play basketball. They were all about ed education. I remember, you know, my, uh, I gave a promise to my dad. I was like, he was like, listen, son, I want you to be a good student before being a good basketball player. So I want you to focus on uh, school first because it's not guaranteed that you're going to make it, mm -hmm. you know. There are millions of kids out there trying to uh, make it to the NBA. So it's not a promise that you're going to make it. So focus on uh, basketball uh, and at the same time school. But So that was the biggest reason I came to America as a teenager so I could just go to school and play basketball at the same time. Mm -hmm. uh, and so you ended up you ended up coming here. Mm -hmm. um, and the, t tell us, like, what, 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 how did were you just naturally talented, or did you have to work your butt off to get in the NBA? Both, both. You, you know, have to. I mean, yeah. I, I want to. Well, in so I'm sure you guys know Fenerbahce. Yes, yes. yes. It was like one of the biggest, you know, the club team in Turkey. So I was playing for them. But when I was 16, I was literally playing against you know, those guys who are like 30, 35s, mm -hmm. you know? So in Turkey, there's no schools, you know, you only go to club teams and you focus on, 
you know, just uh, making your team uh, better. It doesn't matter. You're 16, you're 18, you're 20. If you're good enough, then you can play with guys who are 30, 35, you know. So that, that made me a tougher player. Uh, but coming here, the high, in high school, I was literally going against kids who are like, you know, we were just were kids, mm. yeah. literally kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So playing against these grown men and playing against kids, I was like, you know what, this is just too easy. So in high school, I was one of the best players in the nation. And then I got, um, you know, I committed and signed with the University of Kentucky. I believe the best basketball program in, uh, in, in the nation. I went there for one year. Then I got drafted by Utah Jazz. Mm. Wow. So you got drafted by the Utah Jazz. Mm. And what was it like playing NBA? You know, so my first regular season game was uh, against Lakers against Kobe Bryant at Staples Center. Oh, so, that's awesome, man. So I grew up as a Lakers fan, yeah. right? So playing against Kobe for the first time ever, yeah. front of Staples Center, yeah. 20,000 people. I was like, I remember Coach called my name. I'm sitting on the bench and I'm walking, right? to the uh, In the game, I'm like, my knees are shaking. I'm getting thirsty. My knees are shaking. I'm like, what's going on? Um, one of my teammates missed a shot. I got the offensive rebound, and I was about to finish. They found me. Yeah. So I'm in the free throw line, and I see Paul Gasol. I see um, um, Andrew Bynum, yeah. and I see Kobe was waiting for me to shoot the free throw. Oh, wow. These are like le- three legendary players. Exactly. Yeah. So and there are 20,000 people are booming. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, my God. So I like... I spin the ball, I'm taking a couple uh, dribbles, I'm gonna shoot. My hands, I can feel, I can see that my hands are shaking. I took a shot, I missed. And everybody was like, yay, whatever. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't know if I can do this. <laughs> so the second shot, I'm like, okay. I took the shot, I made it. I was like, this is gonna be my life from now, so I better get used to it. Uh-huh. Yeah. So at that moment, I'm like, just start playing and that game, we, end up losing by 30 points. Kobe ended up scoring 40 points and it was a very tough game for us. So it was like a, it was my welcome back to the league moment. Mm. Yeah. Welcome back, welcome to the league moment. So, so um, you know, at that, after that, I was just like, you know, just practice hard and try to do my best to just be, be one of those uh, players. And Ennis, what does it take to become a professional athlete, but more specifically an NBA athlete? Do you need a special mindset? You know, everybody obviously talking about the mindset and the practice. I, I feel like to all the kids actually are asking me this. If you want to become a basketball player, you have to live like an NBA player. Because not only practicing two or three, it's just not enough. You have to eat well, sleep well, go to sleep early, be disciplined. You have to be de- dedicated. And I think the mental toughness is the most important part in, in if you're playing basketball, especially NBA. Because... Now with all the social media and Twitter and Instagram, I mean, you miss one important shot. Like the whole city, whole state are just like, is destroying you. I remember in some of the playoff games, right? I mean, you cannot play good every game. So I remember in some of the playoff games, I mean, if I had a bad game, I was like, they didn't want to even go out to a restaurant or a mall or to, to, to walk around. I was just like very 
worried about what the fans will say, you know? Yeah. So to me, it was always like, okay, I got to have a good game or they're just going to just destroy me in the media. The fans are going to say the craziest things and all my friends and family and everyone going to read it. So it was like, I was like, it was just taking a lot of, it was just taking a lot out of me. Mm. It sounds like a lot of pressure, man. Oh my God, yeah. A lot of pressure because if there was no media, if there was no this like, sports writers, whatever, then like you're good. But their job <laughs> is literally to just wait for you to make a mistake so they can put that mistake everywhere in the world. Yeah. And obviously once the sports writer writes anything about it, then the nat national media takes it and everyone talks about it. That's why it's like, it's so mentally, it's the, it's the toughest. 20% is, I always say like 20% of it is just physical and 80% mental because physical part, you can literally just go, go to the gym and work out for two hours and lift. And after the practice, you can get some extra shots and you're good, you know? So the physical part is easy, but the mental part is the toughest part. And how did you deal with that? Because it's something that a lot of people we talk to mm -hmm. who are not in the sports world, you know, you, you become a public commentator, you write a yeah. book or whatever, and you find yourself in a position where people have an opinion about you mm -hmm. that you can't control, right? You know, it's, it was just so weird because like you cannot have any bad days because those fans don't know what you're going through. You might have a family problem, you might... You know, maybe you maybe you broke up with your girlfriend or you were having a problem at home. Uh, maybe you're getting divorced or maybe you're about to have a kid. So you're not every day your mind is with basketball. But the fans see that and they're like, we are paying thousands of dollars to watch you play. So we are like, it was like a circus, you know, it was literally like a circus. Mm -hmm. And we cannot have any bad days. Um, so how you come? I think the one thing that we always did was just every after game, we're just sitting down in a locker room. And if someone had a bad day, if someone missed like a very important shot, if uh, if someone doesn't feel like themselves, we're sitting down in a locker room and and say, okay, we are family. We, whatever is, whatever is happening, let's talk in a locker room. And whatever happens in the locker room stays in a locker room, mm. you know? Maybe we were going to fight. Maybe we were going to talk. Maybe we were going to discuss this, that. But it's not going to come out of to the, this locker room. Um, so that made all of us feel so much better. I'm like, okay, like, you know, some people, I missed the game-winning shot. The whole city might hate me. <laughs> you know, no, uh, the whole media is going to destroy me tomorrow yeah. morning. But at least I have my teammates back. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, and we're... We always have this strategy, if one of those media out there will come after us, mm -hmm. we're going to protect each other. Yeah. You know, because media media loves drama. Mm. So they're going to be like, well, this player didn't pass you the ball. You could have just dunked the ball. <laughs> yeah. Do you, are you mad at him? And if you say anything that my... And inside you are mad at exactly, him, right? Inside, of course. I'm going to punch him in the face. We could have won the game. Yeah. But if you cannot, even if you like, you like, maybe you like, even if you roll your eyes, yeah. I promise you they take a screenshot of that. Right. 
and the next day, oh, Ennis doesn't like his teammates. Yeah. So that's why athletes, when they get asked questions by the media, it's always the same, yeah. you know, oh, I'm, I, I love my teammates, I, we just need to work hard yeah. and we'll get the next one. But that's not what we talk in a locker room. Obviously, yeah. in a locker room, you're like, dude, I was open, why didn't you pass me the ball? Right. Or like, what's going on? Do we have a problem? Yeah. So we were trying to solve every problem in a locker room. And when we got out of this locker room, we're all good, you know? There's a... There's the, the, the most famous and the best rugby union team in the world are New Zealand All Blacks. And they have a policy uh, called the No Dickhead Policy. That's literally the name of it. Interesting. And what they say is it doesn't matter how talented you are. It doesn't matter how good a rugby player you are. If you are a dickhead, you're not going to play for the All Blacks. I love it. <laughs> you know, actually, I had a teammate, Stephen Adams. Do you know Stephen Adams? Stephen Adams yeah. from New Zealand. So, in yeah. New Zealand. So he, Great player. One of the, one of the uh, games, I had a really good game. And he said, I'm gonna, he's going to bring me a gift. So the next game, he brought me this um, all-black uh, jersey. Mm. Yeah. I can't remember who he was, but uh, I was like, oh, cool. I posted it, and so many people were just retweeting it and liking it and saying, we didn't know you're a fan, whatever. Mm. But, uh, but no, I had, a, I had a teammate like that, yeah. Stephen Adams. And we've, we've talked about you know, the pressure, but... What's probably even more difficult, Ennis, is how do you deal with success? How do you deal from going from a regular background to all of a sudden being a young kid who is surrounded by wealth, adulation, mm. fame, women? I mean, if that had happened to me yeah. when I was 20, <laughs> I'd be in rehab now. 19. 19. 19. <laughs> even worse, to your teenager. I mean, um, so that's why NBA had this, like, program. It calls, like, Rookie Transition Program, mm -hmm. you know? So, um Whenever you enter the league, um, you go to these programs and the older or retired players comes and gives you their experience of what happened throughout their career. And some of the things that you hear is just unbelievable. Because think about this, you're 19 years old. You're just getting drafted. The whole world is talking about you. They're giving you millions of dollars. And everywhere you go, you don't have to pay for anything. You eat free food, you shop free, you do everything for free, you know? And you literally become an, a huge celebrity. And now with all the social media and everything, you have a huge influence and you can inspire so many people. But sometimes like players don't know what to do with all this fame, mm. all this money, you know? Mm. So that's why they, they go to clubs and they go to bars and they find 10, 20 girlfriends and it just, boom. Did you do any of that? No, because I had a really good team around me really good team around me, and they always protected me, you know, because, I mean, coming to America, coming to America, my family raised me really well, mm -hmm. and they were like, you know, I'm obviously, because of my faith, because I'm a Muslim, I'm not allowed to drink, I'm not allowed to really go out, I'm not allowed to do certain things that my teams, my teammates were doing, you know, so that really protected me, but other than that, I'm, you know, I had a, I think average NBA player's career is four years. Wow. Yeah. Because they're coming in the league, boom, clubs, girls, drinks, this and that, and they're gone. You wow. Know? Yeah. So. so it was your faith that kept you on the straight and narrow. But I guess the question is as well, it's just there must have been a part of you that was tempted. There must have oh, been yeah. a part of you where of you just thought <laughs> to yourself, ah, you know, you know the, look, we're all men, we're all human. There must have been a couple of ladies where you're like, I've worked really hard this week. It is, it, is, it, was, it is so crazy because everywhere we go, they were waiting for us. We go to a hotel, they're waiting at the lobby. We go to a game, they're waiting. 
we go to a restaurant, we go to mall. They know our schedule, obviously. The, the schedule yeah. was out before the season. So every um, city we go, for somehow, they already know the hotel we're staying. So it's like, you go, you go down to the lobby and there are like hundreds of them. <laughs> literally, literally hundreds of them. I feel your pain, Ennis. Yeah. <laughs> and, what, what a terrible this life. was before Instagram. Right. Yeah. Once the Instagram came, so they already know our schedule, you know? So before we go to the cities, they were already DMing us. I say, hey, you know, you're coming to our city. Let's hang out. And it was literally like a menu. You just literally just scroll it down. Okay. I did not do this. I'm just saying. Like, yeah, of course. People yeah. who did it. It was like a menu. You just go down. You're like, hmm, I want a blonde today. I want a brunette today. I want this. I want that. You could literally just pick or one, two, maybe more, you know? So, um that's why a lot of the players were just losing focus because of all that. Yeah. You know, they thought that this is going to last forever, you know, but they were just going out and partying all night and coming to the game the next day. They can't even walk because they're hangover from last night. You know, I had a lot of teammates. I'm like, we had a game. So we usually go to the city the night before, and then in the morning, we have practice. And then at night, we play basketball. We play the game. I had a lot of teammates, even in the morning, before the practice, they were like, they could hardly walk. So I'm like, how are you going to go out there and play basketball? Compete against these guys like Kobe, LeBron, or Kevin Garnett, Dirk Nowitzki, Paul Gasol. And they're like, well, I'll be fine. I'll take a nap. He was in, end up getting it hurt because his body was just not ready for that for the level and also it makes it more challenging particularly if you come like a lot of these guys from very poor backgrounds yes. where you have nothing mm -hmm. and then it's not like you go into business and gradually you build yourself up and you're starting mm -hmm. to make it's zero to a hundred miles an hour that's why you know like you ask so many uh, people a lot of the nba players goes broke right yeah. after their career mm -hmm. because you know, when you come from like, you know, poor families mm -hmm. and your first contract is like $20 million, what do you want to do? You want to show off, right? Mm -hmm. So you want to buy your friend a car, you want to buy your other friend a house, you want to buy another friend a car. And these are like really expensive cars and homes. So you really want to, you, you're really trying to take care of your whole street or your, your whole neighborhood, mm -hmm. you know? And you go out there and buy this like, $100,000 or juries or watches and stuff, which you don't even need, you know? So they always think that, okay, money's going to come forever. But no, they only, when you get hurt, you're done, yeah. you know? If you don't take care of yourself, if you have like an injury prone, then the players are, the, the teams are not going to sign you. What was the big thing that you bought? With my, with my first, um, with my first contact, I literally took my teammates to a Pizza Hut. <laughs> literally, <laughs> the Pizza Hut, and we had a we had a blast. We had so much fun, and it was like all you can eat too. So we were just like killing it. Yeah, you know. But I'm trying to think. I really didn't buy anything like house, car, nothing. What? Nothing. Really? Nothing. I'm as you see. I'm a yeah. very simple, very simple person. I mean, I was like the one thing I've always done. I was just donating a lot of money to. Mm some of the families out there, especially in Turkey, um, because I'm sure you guys know the uh, situation over there. Yeah. Well, we'll talk but, about it. We'll talk about yeah. it. But um, 
But other than that, I didn't really buy anything crazy. One of the questions that has always interested me about when you talk to elite athletes is obviously everybody who plays the NBA mm -hmm. is absolutely exceptional as an athlete. Right. But there is this kind of little strata of the people at the top. And it doesn't matter whether it's football, like Lionel Messi, Cristiano Ronaldo, or it's people like Kobe Bryant. That little sliver of people at the top, what makes them so special that even as professional athletes are head and shoulders above every single other person? What makes him so special, I believe, is, his, I mean, we are all athletes. We know how to train our body, you know? We know what to do when we go in the gym, when we work out. We know our weaknesses. We know our strengths. Um, you know, we know how to eat well, sleep well. I mean, we have all the resources. I think the mindset, you know, I, I, I had so many teammates like, you know, like Damian Lillard, Russell Westbrook, Kevin Durant, Jason Tatum, and, these players were the one that always like coming to the gym first and leaving last. And um, I think what makes them so special is, you know, they were not only just so amazing individually, but they make themselves better and they make everybody else better around them. That's what makes them really special. And I think being a good leader is really important in this league. You know, you can, you can average 20, 25 points, but if you're not winning any games, if you're not helping your teammates, if you're not affecting the game, you know, that's just, just nothing. They're just like empty, empty stats. Yeah. We call it empty stats, you know, but if you're, instead of you 25, you're scoring 20 points, but you're making your teammates score 10, 15 points. And now they're happy. They want to play. They want to win games, mm. you know? So that's what separates from great players and good players. And uh, you play a position where people giving you the ball is important. Like you need yeah. people, the little guys to give you the assist. So that's coming from that. Well, before we move on to, to the more, the, your activism and, and other things, best player you ever play with? Ooh, that's a tough one. I might go with Russell Westbrook. Really? Yeah, I'm gonna, I gotta pick him over. <sighs> because when I play with him, I mean, the, the season that I play with him, um, he averaged triple-double. Mm -hmm. He got the MVP, and he was the best player in the league, you know. And now, right now, people give him so much. Uh, people right now just really, like, talk badly about him because of his character or whatever. But I think he was one of the best team that I had. That's, that's so interesting. Can I push back just as a casual basketball fan? Because I always think when I look at Russell Westbrook is that individually he's a great player. But I always thought the reason he's not won anything is that his style, it's not about his temperament or personality, his style is not necessarily always making the team better. But you say the opposite. Well, I mean, I'm totally saying the opposite because he actually, I mean... He, and Russell, please don't hurt me, I'm a lot to, smaller than you. To understand Russell, you have to play with Russell. Right. You mm -hmm. know, that's when you know how good of a teammate he is on and off the court. Mm -hmm. That's how you know how good of a leader he is mm -hmm. and how good of a basketball player he is, you know? So a lot of people give him um, a lot of bad stuff. But so I why think, do you think he hasn't been able to win the chip? I mean, there are a lot of great players out there that did not win any championship, like right. Karl Malone, uh, Chuck, um, trying to think who else. Uh, there are, I mean, many other players that did not win a championship, mm -hmm. you know, so, um, so yeah. All right. Um, and who's the best player that you played against? Who was the guy that when you saw 
you were just going to think to yourself, yeah. oh, not this, <laughs> not, not him again, um, please. I think I, I might, I think Kobe Bryant. Really? You yeah. came in the League One? Oh, 2011. So he was already maybe past his prime a little bit. By well, I mean, point. he was still chilling. He was still killing. Oh, yeah, yeah he course. was chilling, yeah, yeah, obviously. Yeah. yeah. But um, I must say, you know, I mean, Kevin, uh, Kevin Durant I played yeah. against, Stephen Curry I played against, Dirk I played against. But I'm trying to think. I think I would say Kobe. Why? What was so, what was so special about him? What made him so different? He just, I think his mentality. Mm. You know, everyone talks about the mama mentality. Yeah. But I think his mentality was just on a different level. You know, he was, like I said again, he was always first one in the gym. And he was just, you know, he hates losing. Some people, some players love winning, yeah. but he hates losing. There's yeah. a big difference. When I get drafted, one of the scouts asked me, do you love winning or do you hate losing? I was like, I hate losing. I was like, bit, you know, but... Um, That's the right mentality yes. if you want to yeah. be super successful. Yeah, so but he did not, he, his, his focus was just on a different level. Very professional, mm. unbelievable guy. Mm. And you also, it's, I, I see it in sport a lot, particularly soccer. There are some players, Cristiano Ronaldo is the mm. ultimate example of this. Exactly. Who have a killer instinct. He's a killer. No, we, so when I was playing with Oklahoma City Thunder, we actually went to Real Madrid and yeah. we watched him play and we actually get to meet him. I mm-hmm. uh, got to meet him right after the game. And, you know, always, you're always seeing him on social media or TV, how he's like ripped and stuff. Yeah. I promise we have a picture. He was like, not even quarter of our size. I'm like, this is the guy that is on TV, just all ripped and yeah. stuff. Yeah. It was just like, this is like very skinny. Oh, yeah. Compared to us, he yeah. was very, very, very small. Yeah, well, basketball players carry a lot more muscle yes. than footballers because yeah. you don't run as much. Well, Ennis, listen, one of the things I really enjoyed so far in our conversation is when you talk about basketball, you light up. Mm-hmm. It's some, I can tell it's something you enjoy. Yes. You enjoyed, right? And yet, as we sit here, you're not an NBA player. I'm not. Yeah. And you don't even have the same name that you had, nope. right? Because you made some changes and you spoke up about things that you cared about and you've paid the price, mm-hmm. right? Tell us about that. Well, I mean, my, actually my activism started when I was a kid. Mm. So in Turkey, I'm not sure how much you guys know the Turkish politics, whatever. So if you're, if you're in Turkey, if you're a politician, you do, you do, if you want to be elected again, you do two things. You attack America and you attack Israel. The just because of the base is so uneducated, mm-hmm. right? They're like, wow, look at our leader. He's standing strong against America. He's standing tall against Israel, so let's vote, let, let's vote for him. So that was the situation when I was growing up. So on TV, newspaper, there was just propaganda all day. Um, I, am nine, I'm, I was nine years old. I went downstairs to play with my friends. And I... Uh, I remember my friends, they're not even teenagers, my little friends were burning flags. Mm. They were burning American flags, they were burning Israeli flags. And I, uh, I asked them, like, you, guys, what are you doing? Mm. They said, well, that's what we've seen on TV. They're evil, they're bad, they're terrible. So they gave me a flag to burn it. I took the flag, I took the lighter, I'm looking at it, I'm like, this is not the right, right way to do it. So mm. I threw it down, I ran upstairs to my mom. I was like, mom, my friends are telling me to hate America. They're telling me to hate Israel. They're telling me to hate Jewish people, hate Christians, hate Americans. What do I do? My mom said, I'm not going to tell you what to do, but do not hate anyone before you meet them. Mm. And I'm nine years old. 
So that day I give a promise. I'm not going to hate anyone. Um, so when I was 17 years old, right, my dad was seeing the environment that I was growing up in. They're like, this is just too toxic. Get out of here. Mm-hmm. So they wanted me to play basketball and get my education at the same time. So they said, okay, it's time for you to go to America. Mm-hmm. So I, I remember coming here for the first time. My plane was about to land. I'm so excited, but at the same time, I'm, I'm so nervous because mm-hmm. I just don't know what to expect. Because the last 17 years, the environment I live in was just very toxic. Because you ask, if you have any friends in Middle East, you ask them, you know, in some of the schools, in some of the classes in Middle East, they have flags. They have American flags and they have Israeli flags. And if you are a student, if you're a little kid, if you don't step on those flags, you're not allowed to attend the class. Wow. Think about it. And I am growing up in an environment like that. So I'm coming to, I came to America for the first time. I'm so like, shocked i'm just looking around and trying to like get to know people and stuff but i remember my, my teammates tried to have a conversation for with me with me for the first time i left the locker room and i just didn't know what they were trying to do and they were so nice they're like hey let's take you to a mosque let's uh take you to go get some halal food yeah. uh and stuff i was like what are they trying to do i remember going to my first shabbat dinner it was very interesting because I didn't know she was Jewish or I don't think I would, I would even be friends with her mm. in the beginning. Um, so then I remember the promise that I gave to my mom. I was like, okay, I'm coming. Before I went to her house uh, to have a Shabbat dinner with her family, I called my Turkish friend who lives in America. I was like, if you don't hear from me for the next two hours, <laughs> call the police. Because <laughs> I just don't know what to expect. Anyway, I took a chance. I went there. It was an amazing, amazing dinner. We, I mean, because I don't, know much, I don't know how much you guys know, but like they're so close to our religion, our culture. Yeah. The food is almost like the same. So it was an unbelievable experience. When I, when I was going back to my, my hotel, I started to tear up because I'm, I was thinking there are millions of kids in the Middle East right now is growing up anti-Semitic, anti-West, anti-American, anti-Christian uh, just because of those hate speeches mm-hmm. coming from these politicians. Mm-hmm. So I was like, we got to change it, you know? And then after that, I promised myself, I was like, whatever it takes, I'm going to stand for what's right. And how did that then manifest in your NBA career? Because when I was watching the NBA, as I do, you know, you, you were a great player. You played for a number of teams. You know, I saw you play in New York and Oklahoma and, 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 you know, a bunch of Portland as well. You mentioned Damian Lillard. But I never really heard anything at the time. And that's maybe because I wasn't paying enough attention. Mm-hmm. But it seemed like there was a particular couple of moments maybe. Yeah. That really changed the trajectory of your life and your career. So there was a corruption scandal happened in Turkey back in 2013. And that was the first time I said something about it because President Erdogan and his family members were involved in it. And uh, so after the corruption scandal, I said something. I literally put a, like a very simple tweet out there. Because of the NBA platform, it became a conversation in the United States and uh, in Turkey. 
I'm waiting for this. Yeah, keep going. It's, okay. it's, good. it's all good. We're in New York, man. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So good. I was like, even one simple tweet can affect this much from now, and I'm going to start paying attention about what's going on in my country more and more. So I started to study. I remember my teammates were going out to parties, clubs, and whatever, and I was going back to my house. I was studying about what's going on between Middle East, yeah, what's going on in the Middle East, what's going on between America and Turkey and stuff. So the more I studied, the more I started to talk about these problems. And obviously, every time I talked, it was becoming a conversation. And Turkish government hated that. I mean, first, my dad was a scientist. He got fired from his job. My sister went to medical school for six years, and she still cannot find a job. My little brother was playing basketball. He wanted to be like his big brother, playing NBA. But he was getting kicked out in every team because of the same last name. So they were getting affected so much, they had to put a statement out there and said, we are disowning NS. Actually, the letter is still out there on the internet. You guys can read it if you want. After that letter, I remember going to a practice. It was definitely one of the toughest days in my life, mm-hmm. right? So then Turkish government didn't believe that. They sent police to my house in Turkey and they raided the whole house and they took every electronics away. Phones, computers, laptops, iPads, because... They wanted to see if I am still in contact with my family or not. Mm-hmm. So after the radar, they couldn't find no evidence, but they still took my dad in jail for a while. But we put so much pressure from here for the politicians and media with some of the celebrities to Turkey, they had to let him go. And then, you know, they revoked my passport, they put my name on Interpol list, they put a bounty on my head, and, you know, they send death threats every week now and stuff. Mm-hmm. I have 12 arrests warning for me right now in less than nine years, so. Just uh, for speaking. Just, and you know, the crazy thing is, whenever I like had a, have a conversation with some of them, whenever I give an interview, I always say, look at my every interview that I have given so far. Look at every op-eds, look at everything I have write or tweet so far. I never talk about politics. I keep it pure human rights, and I talk about political prisoners. Mm-hmm. And if that makes me a terrorist, okay. I'll take it, I guess. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So uh, so the reason I did not want to talk about politics is because human rights is above politics. Mm-hmm. So I was like, you know what? I don't care about the politics side of it. I just want to help people. Mm-hmm. So I was like, it's pure human rights. And, and it's what made you keep going because there's a lot of people who would see what was being, the pain that was being inflicted on their family and would think, look, family first. Right. And I'm just going to step back. And th- I, have a lot of, I have a lot of empathy for that point of view. You know, the family always first 100%, but, you know, people knows my situation and my family situation because obviously I play in the NBA, but there are thousands of families out there in jail. Uh, their situation is way worse than mine. I mean, I, I was looking at the numbers just recently. Right now, there are 17,000 innocent women are in the jail waiting for help. Mm-hmm. And these women have did not commit no crime. You know, these are just housewives, lawyers, doctors, teachers, whatever. And they work in a places which is, or they work in a media outlet, which is said something against the regime in Turkey. Um, and a lot of the reports out there, like Amnesty International, Human Rights Watch, Human Rights Foundation, saying that these women are getting tortured and raped, you know? So I'm like, I had to make a decision. I'm like, you know, Obviously, it's important to go back, be able to go back to my country, see my family, hang out with my brothers and sisters and stuff. But here, there are thousands of people are suffering. And did you do you feel a particular sense of duty because you have a big audience, because you have a platform? I think so. I, I think you know this platform is given me by God. 
So I, I was like, you know what? This is just God's work because I'm not making, I'm actually losing money. I'm actually losing endorsement deals by talking about these issues. Um, you know, it's not like this, it's not like this is making me more famous. This is getting me better contracts. This is making me join better teams. This is literally like taking a lot of, out of me, but I, it's still important for me. And I imagine your agent was going well, he wasn't uh, obviously he wasn't the happiest because, <laughs> because once you talk about these problems many of the teams especially the owners are like hmm i mean this is a huge um deal this guy literally they consider him as an international criminal they put a bounty on his head mm-hmm. um so it's a big distraction for our team mm-hmm. you know because it was whenever i joined a team the whole year was not about basketball. Mm-hmm. That whole year was about, the whole international media was talking about what's going on in my life. Mm-hmm. Either a bounty, either me meeting with the world leaders, or either me going to talking about some of the problems that are happening in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the, the focus was shifting away from basketball. And no one could have, say anything like, why are you doing it? Because like I said, again, it was pure human rights, so no one really could have challenged me. So um, so for the, for the coaches or for the owners, it was a big distraction. And Ennis, did anybody ever say to you, look, if you, let's be honest, if you shut your mouth, mm-hmm. this will mean that you get a better deal. There's a chance that you could go to a better club. There's a chance that you could have a far better career. Right. Not when the topic was talked about, when the, when the topic was China, yes. Well, this is, this is what I was going to say, because you, you yes. pissed off the Turkish this president, but this wasn't enough, right? Because no, 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 you is... then had to piss off the Chinese Communist <laughs> yeah. Party as well. Tell us about that. Oh, just before we do that, there's one thing that I want to say, yeah. because I see Meza Ozil, who is yes. a huge Turkish footballer, yep. and he has appeared in photographs, and he's supporting... German footballer. German yeah. footballer. German Turkish, yeah. German Turkish footballer. And with Erdogan. So I did respect him till he took a picture with Erdogan, you know? Mm. It's not like, so he, he did talk about the Uyghurs. He was literally talking about some of the important things that are happening in our world and stuff. So I was like, wow, this is very amazing. This is very interesting. And a, a soccer player going out there and talking about something bigger than soccer. But this is beautiful. Till I saw that he's endorsing Erdogan. Then he lost me. And not he did not only lose me, he lost millions of people around the world. Mm-hmm. Now, whenever I go and have a conversation with one of the Turkish people, per- person, whatever, they said, well, I mean, he, he was a good player, but, you know, he has, he's affiliated with yeah. Erdogan. So you talk about Turkey, you have all this trouble, mm-hmm. uh, but that's not enough for you. <laughs> <laughs> so this is how, how it all started. So the, for the last 10 years, I focused on Turkey. Mm-hmm. The reason, obviously, my plate for, was full because my family, I haven't seen, been able to see my family almost 10 years now. Uh, a lot of my friends and neighbors and whatever in Turkey stuck in jails and stuff. So just last summer, I am uh, doing a basketball camp in New York. So after that, we had an amazing basketball camp with the kids. Um, after the basketball camp, all the kids just lined up for me and they were just getting pictures and taking, uh, you know, getting autographs one by one. So I remember, so I took a picture with this kid and his parents called me out in front of everybody. 
the media was there, my friends, um, some of my you know other you know athlete friends were there, and little kids were there. He said, "How can you call yourself a human rights activist when your Muslim brothers and sisters are getting tortured and raped every day in concentration camp in China?" And I'm still smiling for the camera. <laughs> So I took a picture with this kid. I turned around. I was like, I promise I'm going to get back to you. So that day, I canceled everything. I went back to my hotel. I started to study about what's going on over there in China. And the more I studied, the more I realized, wow, this is just crazy. And no one have the courage to talk about this issue. You see Uyghurs. And the more you study, you see like Tibetans, Hong Kongers, Taiwanese people, Mongolians, Falun Gongs. They are all under heavy persecution by Chinese government. Mm -hmm. So I was like, well, I got to talk about it. But on internet, you can find all kinds of news. You don't know which one to trust or not. It could be a fake news. It could be real news. So I called my manager. I was like, I need you to find me a concentration camp survivor. Obviously, he was very shocked. He's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> he said, well, just find me one. So he did find me one. It was a lady. So we sit down, had a conversation. I had an amazing one-hour conversation with her. You know, um, I wanted to just learn the story from, you know, for, firsthand. So she was telling me about all the torture methods, all the gang raping, all the, you know, forced sterilization, abortion, and organ harvesting, and surveillance cameras. And I was like, the more she talked, the more I was like, shame with myself. I was like, I cannot believe that God gave me this huge platform and I only focused on one dictatorship. So I was like, from now on, I'm going to talk about every dictatorship. That moment. So I end of our conversation, I asked her, I was like, how can I help? She said, I don't need your help. I'm good. I was like, so why did we have this one hour conversation for no reason? Like, why did you even come here? She said, I live in America. I live a good life here. I can do whatever I want. I can say whatever I want. I can eat whatever I want. But help those people, help those two, three million Uyghurs are in concentration camp in China because they are getting tortured and raped every day. So at that moment, I'm like, I don't care what kind of contract or endorsement deal or anything you can offer me. I'm just going to go out there and just expose the whole system. Mm-hmm. That's how, how it all started. And uh, we know that the NBA mm-hmm. has the Chinese market is bigger than Huge. the American market. Exactly. So this didn't go down well. So, like I said again, I wanted to do it, I wanted to do it in a very unique way. Mm-hmm. So later on, if someone comes and says, why are you doing this? I'm like, this is human rights. So you don't, you're telling me that you don't care about human rights? Mm-hmm. You know? So I wanted to do, do it in a very unique way because I remember when I was a kid, whenever I watched an NBA game, the first thing I was watching was the shoes. Mm-hmm. I mean, everyone loves shoes. What color they are, what brand it is, if they're comfortable. The next day, I was telling my dad, please buy those shoes for me, you know? So I had this idea. I was like, let's reach out to these artists around the world, which have been oppressed by their governments, because they are the one that knows the story more than anyone. And and we were like, let's tell them to put all the struggles, all this you know, emotion, all the stories on the shoes, and we're going to go out there and play basketball. And these shoes are non-slave labor. I mean, many of the shoes out there in the world right now, unfortunately, they have sweatshops and slave labor. Anyway, so we created the shoes. Uh, our first, my first topic was Tibet, free Tibet. 
you know, it's not a political, it's literally a human rights issue. So I put the shoes on, free Tibet shoes, I went out there and played basketball. It was right, I, my, my, our first game, I was playing for the Celtics, our first game against New York Knicks, it was the opening night for the, the New York, and it was just the whole world was watching that game, mm. the biggest rivalry. So I put the shoes on, I'm warming up, and a minute before the game, two gentlemen from the NBA came to me and said, take your shoes off. I was like, excuse me? They're like, well, you know, your shoes has been getting so much attention internationally, you got to take them off. So at that moment, I was, I was just getting ready for my citizenship test mm-hmm. in America. So I, was, I closed my eyes. I'm like, okay, we have 27 amendments in America, my first amendment, freedom of speech. I told them, no. Even if I get fined, I'm not taking them off. They said, we're not talking about fine. We're talking about getting banned, which there is no rule against it. So that half, I played zero minutes. Mm-hmm. Zero. I went back to my locker room. I had thousands of notifications in my phone. I clicked on the one that my manager sent me. He said, every Celtics game is banned in China. It took them 24 minutes, first, first quarter to 12 minutes, second quarter, 20, uh, 12 minutes, 24 minutes to ban every Celtics game in television. So I was like, well, that clearly shows the censorship and the dictatorship over there. Anyway, so after that game, I played zero minutes. We lost the game. And uh, after the game, there was just huge media storm. Literally every media in the world from very random countries, which I never even heard of, wanted to have an interview. I told my manager to decline them all. I don't want to have no interview with anyone. I didn't want my teammates to think I'm doing this for attention. Mm. I was like, decline everything. And he was like, are you sure? He was like, decline everything. So after the game, NBA called me. They're like, well, you know what you did. NBPA called me, the Player Association, which I give thousands of dollars every year to protect my rights against the NBA. Mm. They say, you cannot wear the shoes every game. NBA has been pressuring us. I was like, am I breaking any rules? They said, no. They said, well, you cannot remember again. I was like, if, you're, if I'm breaking any rules, tell me. I won't wear it. They pressured me so much. I was like, you know what? Fine. I'm not going to wear free to bachelors every game. They said, promise? I said, promise. So we hang up the phone. So the next game, I wore free Uyghur shoes. (laughs) (laughs) Now that's what you call doubling down. So they called me after the game, the second game. They're like, you're a liar. You lied to us. We can never trust you again. I was like, first of all, relax. Second, I never lied to you. I never said I'm not going to wear free Uyghur shoes, I just said, I'm just not going to wear free Tibet shoes. At that moment, they got it. They were not going to be able to make me apologize, took my tweet down and say, I was not educated enough, sorry, whatever. So when, uh, after the second game, one of my teammates woke up to me and said, you know, this is your last year in NBA, right? You criticized China, you criticized Nike, you're not going to play basketball ever again. Have fun, smile, I hope you win a championship, but this is it for you. Wow. And that was it. And that... And it was as simple as that. Simple as that, yeah. And, but, I mean, you worked so hard, Ennis. You put, you dedicated so much of your life to getting to the NBA. You clearly love basketball. Mm-hmm. Was there no part of you who thought... Ugh. I mean, I, of course I love basketball, but it's just the promise, I guess, I would say to give to my mom. I was like, mom, I promise I'm going to stand up for what's right, whatever it takes, even if it means sacrificing everything I have, you know? Um... I mean, people keep talking about basketball, me losing my career, but 
I talk about the problems that were happening in Turkey, I pretty much lost my family. I haven't seen my mom and dad and my sister over 10 years now, you know? Um, and also, I just, when I know that on the other side of the world, people are losing their loved ones, losing their lives and losing their homes, I just couldn't play. I just couldn't go to sleep at night in peace. And what was the reaction of the manager? What was the reaction of the coaches? What was the reaction of your teammates? And they were just shocked. They're like, everyone was shocked because everybody knew that this is it. I'm not going to play basketball. And it's not like I'm 35 years old. No. It's not like my, I was 29 years old. I could have played another like six, seven years. Yeah. So if they, if I did, the, the, if I did this whole thing, when I'm 35, 36, they're like, well, you know, he was going to be down with basketball anyway, so he just did it to have a next chapter in his life. But I could have literally played another six, seven years. I'm healthy. I love basketball. I love the NBA, the basketball side of it, not the politics side of it, obviously. But um, this is just bigger than myself, bigger than NBA, bigger than basketball. Mm. And Ennis, I think anyone watching this or listening to this will know that you're coming from a, uh, a good place, <laughs> really from a good place, and you, you're doing what you believe and you're standing up for what you believe. But there are also people who will say, you know, we see this with kneeling in, in, for, for, in relation to BLM in the NBA and in, uh, in soccer. Uh, we see this with Colin Kaepernick, uh, etc. But there are people who say, you know, Sport is sport and politics is politics. And you violated that separation. So there's a, like I said, from, from the beginning of our conversation, there's a difference between politics mm. and human rights. Mm -hmm. I don't do politics. Mm -hmm. I have never in my life said, even about Turkey or China, let's vote for this guy, let's vote for mm -hmm. this party. I don't like, I endorse this person. Never in my life, you know? Mm -hmm. I keep the pure human rights. So if they, if they are, against what I'm saying, that means they're against human rights, you know? And because I don't, and also, not only basketball players, but athletes has a huge platform. Mm -hmm. They can literally inspire millions of kids out there. Now with all the social apps, phones, everything, you know, they could, they're just literally becoming an educator. Mm -hmm. And now you see all the kids are literally just following the daily routine that, that these athletes has. Mm -hmm. So it's in your hand to just put the good things out there and the bad things out there, mm -hmm. you know? You see all this, some of the players were putting out there with alcohol and girls and clubs and all and expensive juries and cars. But same time, you see other athletes talking about what's more important for our society, you know? So, uh, Sorry, Anis. I was going to say, was there not a part of you? Because you're obviously a, br a bright guy. You have studied about America. And you looked at the way the NBA have, done, have effectively cancelled it, and you think to yourself, and you thought to yourself, "Well, this is my First Amendment right. I'm going to take you on." Was there not a part of you was like, "Right, if we want to go to battle, let's go to battle." I mean, this was the craziest thing because I was just keep asking myself, "How can the biggest dictatorship in the world mm -hmm. can control a hundred percent American-made company and fire an American citizen?" I would just keep asking this question to myself. And one of my friends said, study and you will see more. So the more I study, the more I realize NBA is not the only one. You see Hollywood, mm -hmm. Big Tech, Academias, Wall Street, um, 
farmland, Congress, local, local Congresses, they all run by one of the dictatorships out there. Like, after the basketball, after my basketball career, I was like, you know what? Basketball is over. I am still an athlete. I'm still in a good shape. Let me do something else about sports. So I grew up as a huge WWE fan, mm-hmm. huge uh, wrestling fan. So I was like, well, I'm, I was already in conversation with some of my friends over there and stuff. So I started to have conversations. People heard about it and stuff. And uh, one day, one of my friends called me from WWE. They said, listen, we know that you like to talk about some of the you know, problems that are out there happening in the world, but I got to tell you something. I was like, what happened? She said, talk about anything in the world. You can talk about anything in the world, but if you ever talk about Saudi Arabia, you're never going to wrestle. I was just like, what are you talking about? They said, whatever China is for the NBA is, Saturday, is WWE for Saudi Arabia. They said they make so much money from Saudi Arabia every year, which is girls are not even allowed to wrestle there. Uh, if you say anything against it, you're not going to be able to wrestle. I was like, well, it's too late. You know, so I see the more I study, the more I realize every organization, CEO or companies has been bought by someone bad out there, you know? Um, I even call out, you know, all this, the war happening in Ukraine is obviously, it's horrible, it's disgusting, whatever. But you see all these like CEOs, all these organizations and companies are pulling out of Russia. I was like, we were just having this huge conversation with many uh, important people. I was like, if God forbid China to ever try to invade Taiwan, would you guys do the same thing? No answer. And the reason is obviously because China is a bigger and more powerful market. Of course. Right. Of course. Right. And, and, is, and did you think that, I mean, you say it's not politics, and I know what you mean, but these issues, unfortunately, are political, right? People politicize them. And we saw with, for example, BLM, the NBA treated that very differently. To your very kid. different. <laughs> to, yeah. put it, to put it <laughs> very mildly. Different. Well, the, the reason was they know that, you know, during the NBA bubble, I was in NBA bubble. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you guys know about the NBA bubble. But tell, 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 tell so, our audience. So three years ago, 2020, the COVID hit. Mm-hmm. And NBA obviously still wanted to make money. So they took all of us into a hotel in Disney. So we were in a hotel over 82 days and we just couldn't, you know, meet with anyone from the outside. You know, they were testing us twice a day. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it was all about social justice. They put the BLM logos on the floor. They put those phrases behind our jersey, which was controlled by the NBA. Uh, it was all about social justice and standing for what's right. And I was like, you know what? This is your freedom of protest. I got you. If you want to do it, do it. I'm not against it. Uh, but NBA knew that the, the things that they stand up for in America is not going to affect their business. Mm. They are going to shut you up about anything if the things that you talk about affects their money or business. Mm-hmm. I was like, because I was seeing the hypocrisy, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so BLM and everything was, for them, it was just PR. You know, they were just trying to do PR, trying to get more clicks, more eyeballs, more... Um, recognition, they're like, wow, look at NBA, 
is the first organization that goes out there standing with African-American uh, community in America. Wow, what an amazing organization. But then China happened. Mm-hmm. And I was like, first couple of games, I was like seeing that, I was like, where is my support? Where is Adam Silver? Where is all these owners and billionaires or teammates or coaches? Where are they? You know, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to expose the whole system. After I got released, China put the games back on television after three weeks. And uh, we found out, we did the whole investigation. We found out 40 NBA owners uh, have got tied up $10 billion in China. I was like, well, that clearly shows why I'm out of the league. Yeah. And did teammates, uh, do they still talk to you? Or are you kind of seen as a so, kind of pariah figure? Good question. So when I was with, when I was playing, they were really supportive, silent support. Mm. You know, they were very supportive. They're like, it was the perfect moment because it was right before the Beijing Olympics. I was like, guys, join me. Forget about the NBA. I was reaching out to NFL, MLB, NHL, MLS, all the major leagues in America. Forget about America. I was even uh, reaching out to Olympians. I was like, this is not a political issue. This is a human rights issue. So let's like, just join me. We'll create a movement. We'll talk about the slave labor. We'll talk about the sweatshops. We, we, we talk about the people over there dying. Mm-hmm. They're like, listen, we love you. We support you, but we just cannot do it all out. I was like, why? They said, well... We have shoe deals, endorsement deals. We want to get another contract. I asked them one simple question. I was like, put yourself in their shoes. If your mother, if your sister, if your daughter was in those concentration camps getting tortured and raped every day, would you still pick money and business over your morals, values, and principles? They usually turn around and leave the room. Wow. So. And do you think part of this, the reason you have this attitude, Ennis, is the fact that you have seen a totalitarian regime you yes. know what that means. You understand that. Whereas people who grow up in America, they don't understand what that means. Exactly. They have no concept. I remember one time we were having a conversation in a locker room with my teammates. And they were like, oh, America is bad. America is horrible. America is this and that. I, was, I stopped them. I was like, guys, season is about to be over. Uh, when the season over, let me buy your tickets. It was a very generous first class tickets. Mm-hmm. It was like, let me buy your tickets. And let's go to this, some of those dictatorships out there, mm. like Russia, like China, like Iran, Venezuela, Cuba, North Korea. And I would like to see if you guys can forget about a tweet, if you guys can even criticize or say something about, about those regimes. You and your family members will be in torture and rape in jails forever. Just because of they didn't grow up, they, they grew up with so much freedom and democracy in this, in this country, they don't know any better. And then this is such a beautiful point. You know, as we talked mm-hmm. earlier, I'm from Russia. Francis' mother is from Venezuela. Mm-hmm. It's one of the reasons we talk about the things that we talk mm-hmm. about on the show. And one of the things that seems to me is the, the story of your story and the NBA and how it handled BLM versus how it handled your, your Chinese and, and Turkish protest is, is that it's okay to beat up America. Yeah. America bad. It's America's I mean, the worst place ever, blah, blah, blah. Seen, yep. And you can't criticize anyone else. We are the worst people. Let's not look anywhere else. And, you know, that is correct. And also, I was like, I, did, I don't want to say I, will, I wanted to educate my teammates because they already knew. Mm-hmm. They already knew that their shoes has been made by slave kids. 
there are so much blood and sweat and oppression behind those items, you know? Um, they knew a lot of the problems that were happening around the world. They knew some of the things that I even talk about. Uh, but them picking money and business over their morals, over what's going on, really broke my heart. And now, when I got released, I played 11 years in the NBA. I had hundreds of teammates, hundreds of coaches, so many people from the foreign offices. Not one of them texted me. Wow. They said, hey man, good luck with your next chapter. Because they didn't want me to mention their name whenever I give an interview. I was like, hey, this guy supported me, this guy texted me, which I would never do without, the, without their uh, permission. Um, because they knew if I say, hey, this guy supported me when I talked about Hong Kongers, mm-hmm. um, he was going to get a lot of trouble. And, and why do you think they didn't? Is it because they like the money? Is it because they like the lifestyle? Is it because they don't want to get in trouble? I would say all, but fear is the most important one, mm-hmm. you know? There are so many um, other examples out there, like Richard Gere. Yeah. I'm sure you know who that is. Uh, he, was a, he was an actor in Hollywood, and yeah. he talked about, obviously, Tibetans, and he was just gone after that, mm-hmm. you know? I think that the seeing these kind of examples, me getting released at the age of, like, prime of my time, you know, mm-hmm. um, it's like a really big hit for him. So that's why I was like, you know what, this whole system needs to be exposed. And now they really lost 50% of the country, you know? And now whenever I have a conversation with so many of, you know, the sports fans, they say, well, uh, we love NBA, we love Amazing, but they don't stand for what's right. Mm -hmm. We don't believe that they, whenever they stand up for one of the social justice issues that are happening in America, that we know that it's not going to hit their pocket or Mm -hmm. we know that they're not genuine about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's... You've been very generous with your time, so I don't want to hold you up too much longer. But are you happy? You happy you did this? I'm very happy. I have zero regrets. A lot of people ask. That is the one question that I get the most. Do you have any regrets? Um, Obviously, I love basketball. I love my family. Forget about basketball. I love my family. I haven't even been been able to even have a phone conversation with them for years, you know? but at the end, like I said again, what I'm doing is bigger than myself, mm. bigger than basketball, bigger than NBA, because while I was dribbling the ball in this country, on the other side of the world, other side of the ocean, people will, people were suffering, mm. you know? And you can only understand that if you lived it. And I did live it, you know? Many of my, my dad was in jail. Many of my friends right now are still in jail. Many of my neighbors maybe ex-teammates that played in Turkey in jail just because of they supported me. Um, I'm happy I did it. But, you know, I, I mean, I love basketball. You can never go back to those times. And I love competing. I love winning games. I love going to different arenas and beating their team for their own fans. And it's yeah. just the most funnest thing that you could do. Uh, but I have no regrets. I'm very happy. And it's, it's been an absolute pleasure uh, before we move on to our locals and where our patrons get to ask you questions, we always finish the interview with the same question, which is, what's the one thing we're not talking about as a society that we really should be? I think the one word that I just wish that I can just somehow magically uh, put in everyone's heart is empathy. You know, once you have empathy and then you can understand what others are going through, um, you know, we can just live an amazing life and 
in this side of the world, but on the, on the other side of the world, people are literally, you know, running away from wars and running away from bombs and running away from you know, these terrorist groups. Say so they don't recruit them, you know. Um, once you have empathy, you're going to be able to try to understand the other side and do whatever you can to help them, even if it means sacrificing everything. I think we definitely need to talk about that word more, empathy. Ennis Freeman, thank you for coming on the show. Uh, join us on Locals, where we ask your questions to Ennis. Take care, and we'll see you over there. Take care, and see you soon, guys. Do you think Turkey will ever be a democratic country? Before you go, consider joining our exclusive member feed. As a member, you'll get ad-free and extended interviews. Click the membership link in the podcast description or find the exclusive episodes link on your podcast listening app to join us.